Welcome to Forefront. Call identification 002. Please state your name and purpose after the tone. My name is Jake O'Leary, and I'm the global head of artist marketing for YouTube based out of New York. At the core of it, every day I wake up and with the team here, we help more artists and fans connect all over the world. That sounds like more fun than my job. Absolutely. You are now being placed into conference with Gary Aspen. Hi, my name's Gary Aston. I'm a brand consultant working primarily with Adidas and various capacities for the last 20 years based out of their London office. I was a global head of entertainment marketing. I also work as a consultant with everybody from PlayStation to JD Sports to the office of Tibet and the Dalai Lama. That is a good name drop. <laughs> I was fatherhood, Jake. Oh, man. I was saying to people who, who have children, why didn't you warn me? And they just laugh. I joke, though, because, like, work for me from November through the Grammy weekend was, like, ridiculous. And then the baby came, I actually started sleeping more. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's move it along. All right. So you are a G. You are a proper don of design and working with incredible people. I mean, I've been a fan of yours for many years watching from afar. How did you even get into working with talent and bringing Adidas closer to culture? Well, it's interesting you say that because a lot of what I do, it's much more informed by my experiences growing up as a youth through the 80s and early 90s than it is my academic background. I studied a degree in fashion promotion, but all that really did was validate and hone skills that I kind of already had. You know, in the early 80s, I got into hip-hop. I was a b-boy. I grew up around the sort of football culture and the fashion that came from that in the UK. Bearing in mind, this was all pre-internet. You know, when we were hip-hop kids in the UK, a lot of the stuff that we were seeing the American kids wearing were not available to us. So what that led to was us having to improvise and find our own style within that. You know, I, I used to go to a lot of the old dayers all over the UK, which were kind of like hip-hop jams for kids who were under 18 and through the 80s there'd been a whole recession there were a lot of empty mills and a lot of empty warehouses and a lot of empty factories so in 1988 when acid house exploded in the uk the place was absolutely primed for it parties for the people by the people and it was very communal and i was doing that for a few years and then in the early 90s i found myself broke and then i decided to go back to college i reconnected with one of the guys who i used to dance with when i was younger he got into the whole b-boy breakdown dancing revival in the early 90s I hooked him up with a woman who I'd met who worked for Adidas and in a short space of time he went on tour with the Prodigy a lot of the bands from Manchester like the Stone Roses and New Order and the Happy Mondays used to come to those you know the acid house parties that I'd been involved in through a bizarre twist of fate she ended up leaving the job I was graduating around that time and then they offered me the job and that was where it all started I was employed by Adidas UK to work on entertainment marketing and within 12 months I started working for the global team. I went up through the ranks and then after 10 years doing that 
I decided I wanted some fresh challenges. So the biggest question I have for you is, you land at Adidas. Where in the 90s was that? That was like 98. Influencer marketing still isn't really understood by majority of the profession, I think. This whole thing, the internet, wasn't then what it is now. This whole trend hasn't started and you're in a company that spends a lot of money on marketing, you know, broad scale marketing. How did you build this entertainment marketing department into what has probably become a world leader? There are other people who work in that entertainment marketing department nowadays, and it's a very different animal to what it was when I first started. At the time, there was no Adidas Originals. There was no hype sites. There was no hype beast. There was no high snobiety. We didn't pay anybody. It was purely based on relationships. A lot of brands are obsessed by hype, and I actually think that that bubble is starting to burst. It's a very odd state of affairs that we find ourselves in right now. It's not dissimilar to what happened around 2005, 2006. It went through this thing of people buying super collectible but not really wearable products. And then people kind of just went, what am I doing this for? And just went back to wearability. Do you think it's different though this time around? Because I walk past kids, four blocks worth of kids lined up for Supreme almost every day. The difference being there's a bias for stuff people can wear every day. You know, it's Yeezy sneakers in white t-shirts. It's not like these are collectible, put in a box, never wear. Kids are wearing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at the history of youth culture, most youth cultures involve participation, whether that's football casuals, whether that's punk rockers, whether that's skateboarders. It's not just about how much money you can spend and how ostentatiously you can show that on the internet. There's got to be a backlash towards all that. I think it's inevitable. It has a very limited window on culture. Harajuku essentially created the template for the hype that happens now. They really controlled their distribution. They never went on sale. What Bathing Ape were doing in the late 90s was revolutionary. One second, Gary. We have Marina on the line. Go on, Marina. We're all waiting to hear you. Hi, I'm Marina Go, and I'm a non-executive director for a number of companies, including Energy Australia, 7-Eleven, Auto Sports Group and Ovarian Cancer Australia. I'm also the chair of the West Tigers NRL Club. I chair a tech startup called Juggle Street and I chair the advisory board for the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. What am I doing with my life? And I'm really, really passionate about diversity. Same, sister. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, Marina. Hi, how are you? Amazing. We were just getting fired up on influencer marketing, whatever that is. Sure. The biggest challenge working inside big companies, and I'm sure you have the same thing, is that you have to find a way to strategize what you do and make it understandable to people who might be coming from very different ideas about what's cool and what isn't. It's not quantifiable and it's subjective. You know, cool by definition, you're not breaking a sweat. 11, 12, 13-year-old kids studying cues with uncomfortable-looking parents. It's not a sustainable situation for the brands. Fundamentally, the world and the equation has gone haywire based on followers and likes. And I think that so many brands now are operating in a transactional mindset. I also would argue too, Jake, that one of the damages I think that influencers are potentially doing to a lot of brands is actually debranding everything. So brands spend a lot of time being extremely specific around a differentiated proposition to the customer. Of course. 
in my role and my team, we work with artists every day. And what's so interesting to me in looking at different projects over a number of years, the campaigns that work the best are the ones where you have a real human to human connection with the artist or the influencer. Otherwise, people now can sniff the lack of authenticity. I think you see it every day with girls in bikinis posting tea and teeth whiteners. Gary, I look all the time at you and think about the people who wear Adidas, the people all over the world creating special flags and taking them to football matches. You know, for me, that's a gold standard. I think it's important for YouTube to work with artists like Camila Cabello, who's now one of the biggest stars on the planet, but she started by uploading covers to YouTube to gain a bit of confidence in high school. Guys like James Bay learn how to play the guitar on YouTube. The Chainsmokers learn how to produce music watching videos on YouTube. Jay Balvin went from a guy making incredible music in Colombia to being one of the biggest stars on the planet because YouTube helped him get to 1.8 billion people. To the point whereby Beyonce at Coachella is performing his song and bringing him out. For me, it's important the brand relationships are built beyond what it, whatever the value exchange is because it's not sustainable for the brands and it's not actually a good experience for the partner. Well, one of the working with a brand like Adidas is that it has such cultural equity and such connection to so many different pockets of culture, whether that be Jamaican reggae culture or American hip hop culture or British casual culture. You know, it yeah. synergies there. So what I always tried to operate within where those synergies existed rather than trying to convert people. Some companies are getting it right. You look at Gucci and I'm a fan. You know, you watch a brand like Gucci embrace hip-hop culture. You watch the way that hip-hop and Gucci interact and I feel like many years ago that would have been a brand manager's worst nightmare. You know, I worked at P&G where every pixel had to be perfect. It just doesn't work. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I applaud the work that Samsung did a few years ago with a YouTube creator called Casey Neistat. They worked with Casey in a way that gave him flexibility and control and a voice to communicate with his audience. It ends up making the brand look real. A stuffy brand can go from being unrelatable and unattainable to part of the conversation if they get this right. And on the flip side, the risk reward is higher because if you get it wrong, you can end up very, very tone deaf and very out of touch. I mean, Pepsi, Kendall Jenner type thing. <laughs> hey, Marina, yes. I think it took me about an hour to read your bio without even your history. How do you even manage all these multiple projects and organizations and people your head on your shoulder. <laughs> what I find, which is really fascinating to me, at some point, really kind of at the top of strategy, we're all kind of operating in the same world and consumer behavior is driving a lot of the decisions of large organizations. And so there is an intersection. I know that when you look at my portfolio of boards in particular, it looks like I'm really stretched. But actually, I find myself having very similar conversations around the board table about the future customer. I've always had to do more than one thing. I think it's just the way my brain works. Coming from a media background and, you know, having been a, a magazine editor, primarily my passions are around diversity and culture and customer. So everything that I do touches that in some way. First of all. Wow. You know, what's super interesting for me is you're hyper local. A lot of the companies you work with are so Australian based. You know, I have this perception because I've been away a long time that it takes the progressive things happening in the world a little while to make it over the land and seas to Australia. How do you bridge the gap? Mm. 
most Australian companies are definitely behind and you see that when you look at the global metrics around diversity, particularly with regards to gender diversity. We're a country that should be at the front of this. Given the innovative nature of, of our culture, actually, you know, the great thing about being so far away from everybody else is we really have to think of how to do things ourselves. And I think that's why a lot of um, innovation, particularly in the 60s and the 70s, began in Australia. So, you know, that's that's quite exciting. I think the problem we have, though, is that it's easy to get stuck. A lot of organisations were able to say, well, actually, this works. So, if it works, let's not break it. Every sector is disrupted now, every single sector. It doesn't matter what. The golden days are over unless people embrace change. Now, it's given us the opportunity to look at the governance, I guess, of organisations and, and wonder if one of the reasons we're slipping behind from an innovation point of view globally is because we've had literally the burning platform. It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to become a non-executive director because I was an executive for a very long time in media and I was told very early there were not many opportunities for women on boards, not many opportunities for women to lead organisations or to lead change, I guess. That's a red rag to a bull for me. So if someone says to me, you can't do something, I'm going to do it because the change has to come from the top of the organisation. We've got a long way to go. Um, Some of my organisations are better than others. I'm on the board of Energy Australia. We have a female CEO. We have a 50% female board. Our CEO has a program in place to put more women into power plants, for example, which were you know, almost 100% male in the past. But by the same token, as you quite rightly point out, I also sit on the board of a rugby league club. Um, we've got a hell of a long way to go, but being a female chair of a rugby league club does add some value to my club and to our female rugby league followers and fans. And, you know, I've been criticised publicly for being a woman in a man's world many times and particularly in rugby league. So I spend a lot of time also mentoring women in how to be courageous. Once you have the courage to make bold decisions, not only in your career, but also in what you stand for in your life. And the two of you understand that because you've done it in your own careers. That for me is almost a zeitgeist moment for women where we are starting to build courage. Wow. I love it. Jake, I was quite interested to understand how you made jump from P&G to YouTube. From a marketing point of view or from a customer point of view, I understand that but from a technical point of view it's quite a different sector i think what's interesting is i don't think of myself as working in tech i think of myself as working in music you know the reason i work in music and care most about music is because i spent so much of my life growing up playing music and making music but i went and got a real job at png and i wouldn't trade that for the world but something happened a few years ago whereby you know google grew and as they grew they realized two things one thing is they needed to sell ads back to png and they were the biggest spender of advertising dollars in the world, right? So they started hiring a lot of people from PNG. And then the second thing was they realized they had products to build and to market. And as they did that, they were like, well, where do we go and get marketing talent from? Obviously, PNG being the company that invented marketing, that was something they were interested in. A number of my mentors left PNG to go to Google all over the world. You know, Miley Carnegie went to run Australia. Friends of mine went to work for Google in Singapore, Japan. And then one guy came to the US and worked at YouTube. YouTube and he was kind enough to bring me every day is like holy shit mind-blowing and the speed at which this company operates is incredible yeah yeah I don't think that there's been a better time to be in the music industry than right now to what degree this is an inflection point where there's more people streaming music all over the world more money flowing through the ecosystem more artists can be signed you've got an industry that's heading into a golden era do you think hip-hop has become like the driving force in global music culture now. Do you think the fact that it embraces capitalism in the way it does is, is what's brought it to that? 
that. If you look at rock and roll, it was kind of the worst thing in the world you could be seen to be doing was selling out. <laughs> Whereas a lot of rappers, it seems like the ambition is to sell out. There's something undeniable about what's happened with hip-hop and rap music. Hip-hop and Latin music dominate from a number standpoint. Somebody you know had done a, a, a record, but it was quite politically charged and he needed a rapper to jump on that record and the one that didn't decline was Kendrick Lamar but they all declined because they didn't want to upset their deals with brands I mean what do you think about that because music has always been given a voice to people do you think that musicians are compromised because of signing brand deals I mean I think that you can't make any generalizations for every example like that you hear another example you know my mind was totally blown when Gambino dropped This Is America everybody's was <laughs> I mean the tune's good but the video was just yeah mind blowing nailed it right and you have an artist who's totally unafraid to push us in ways we rarely get pushed and to be that courageous and it sparked a fire i applaud any artist who has the courage to to show and use their voice and their platform to share what they believe when i got into hip-hop hip-hop at that time it was rebel music when i saw that video it was like looking up at the sky and going thank god there's somebody who's got something to say yeah your heart's racing the hairs on the back of your neck go up and you just think about what that does to a, a kid in wherever okay okay wrap it up kids marina well so nice to meet you gary my guy so good to speak with you and i can't wait to see both of you at forefront in sydney this july i'm really looking forward to it too it was fantastic to talk to both of you um and i'm really excited to catch your sessions that'll be fantastic thanks guys looking forward to coming out to sydney not being over there before so uh very excited about my first time in australia thank you guys bye bye thank you this conversation is to be continued on July 19th, 2018, in Sydney, Australia, at the Forefront Summit. Have you got your tickets? I've got my tickets. I heard the after party is going to be off the chain. 